0: Hello, folks. I hope everyone is well tonight. I know we've all greeted each other. I'm just going to try and share my screen here. Okay, right. So I'm going on a, on a whim here that everyone can hear me. I don't know. Everyone, why someone just give me a thumbs up? Yeah, you're good. We can hear you. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Dave. If this only goes out to Dave, then that's cool. At least someone heard. <laughs> I just want to thank Pastor Fabio and Dave for letting me share their word tonight. We're in Proverbs 26. and just going to ask the Lord to, to bless us as we go through Proverbs 26 tonight. Father, thank you for the time that we could share together. Thank you for your amazing word, Lord. May you bless it to our bodies. May we learn more and more from you each day. Give me the wisdom, please, Lord, and give us all the wisdom rather to understand the book of Proverbs. It's challenged me tremendously, and I hope it challenges all of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Right, so as we'll see, in this section, you'll see that Proverbs 26 has full mentioned, uh, 11 times, and we'll see that this proverb also talks well this this chapter rather talks about the lazy person so you can see that the fool and the lazy person is obviously not really uh, highly thought of by the lord and there's very good reason for that so we'll start in verse one i'll go through it and we we just trust that the lord helps us as i was i must say i was really challenged by this and i'm not sure if this was a a ploy by Pastor Fabio and Dave. But anyway, let's see how it goes. So verse 1, As snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. So as we go through the text, the Hebrew usage for fool is a fool, a dullard, a simpleton, or an arrogant one. And I think what we can derive from this is that a fool ends up becoming arrogant. We can see that the Hebrew usage does use that quite often. And it's really important that we see that in the start here, the cycles are out of place. So as snow in summer and rain in harvest. Now, Israel had specific harvest times. As we know, they had the rains that were specific. They had snow in certain parts of the, uh, during certain parts of the year, rather as they were an agricultural people. And so they relied heavy on the harvest because they wanted and had to present their first fruits, their harvest to the Lord. So we can see that this proverb is saying as as much as what's uh, rain and snow damages the harvest, so too is the fool that um thinks he has honored you to himself. Right? So you'll see an example in 1 Samuel 12, 17, where Israel is now wanting a... A king, they they want to go from a theocracy to a monarchy. And the prophet Samuel writes, "Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord, and He will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourselves." And what I just want to show there is that, in calling rain in harvest time, is what, is what will really damage the crops. For the Israelites. So you'll see that as out of place and as destructive as what an untimely snow and rain is in harvest time. So too is a fool that cannot receive honor because he is wise in his own eyes. He's focused on himself and he's interested in his own ideas. That's what that proverb is saying to us. The next proverb 26 verse 2 like a flitting sparrow. Like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. I must be honest, quite a difficult proverb here to interpret. I was working on this one quite a lot. But what I understand is that the example is that that birds here in this context are airborne, right? So a quick sparrow, uh, a sparrow that is sharp through the air, a flying swallow, they do not land. In other words, they do not set alight on us in in other words they do not descend and land on us in the same manner an undeserved curse will never land on a person no matter what superstition says and an example of this is Balaam when Balaam tried to curse Israel but could not and that does not give us obviously leeway to curse and to take things into our own hands but what it is saying is that cursing or vilifying or denouncing someone has to be has to be done justly in the eyes of God otherwise it will not be legitimate it will have no purpose also as christians we shouldn't go around cursing people because we might find it we we might find it to have a just cause in other words we have to what comes to mind rather is matthew chapter 18 matthew chapter 18 talks about um within the body how we are to approach a sinning brother and a sister and it sort of brought that to mind that that's the only time we as christians can really go to someone or when they're living in sin is to call them out in sin whether it be individually as as one or two witnesses and in in front of the congregation waltke who is a theologian has this he says since the creator and lord of history is the source of blessing and cursing through a fellow human being. The proverb infers that the undeserved, unfitting curse is ineffective because the sovereign does not back it up. And I think that really sums it up nicely for us. So like a spirit, like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not land. Number three, a whip for the horse. Or rather verse 3, a bridle for the donkey and a rod for the fool's back. This one uh, starts getting a bit easier. I must say that it was a uh, a relief. But the horse and the donkey have tools or instruments appropriate for themselves. In other words, how we can handle the animal. We use these to guide the animals accordingly. So too, in a like manner, the fool needs a rod for his back because he may only understand that hardness and infliction of pain to exit his foolishness and to gain in wisdom. Psalm 32, 9, the psalmist writes, Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. So you can see the picture here is that, the fool needs a rod for his back because he keeps on falling into his own wisdom. And as you'll we'll see going through this whole proverb, that is much spoken of of one that is foolish and relying on his own wisdom. Verses 4 and 5, we'll, I have put them together. We will look at them separately, but we'll look at them, uh, read them together. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So this is another tough proverb to interpret. Uh, some say that this proverb is contradictory. But as we know, as, as born-again believers, as people that trust in the word of the Lord, there is no contradiction in the word of God. And I think that's something that we can really stand on, that over the centuries, so many people have tried to Come against the word of the Lord. But the word of the Lord prevails. And I think that's what we have to always take take refuge in. So verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Lest you also be like him. This one is self-explanatory. In that we shouldn't be provoked to answer a fool. Otherwise we will become like him. We will be like him. Because his so-called wisdom and understanding will be put onto us. Fools speak from a place of lacking sense. And most definitely lacking wisdom and bringing foolishness. They will say things that will make one feel like we have to answer it. How many times have we been in a discussion or um, in a discourse with someone and they are bringing across a foolish thing, but you're, you're so entrapped with what they're saying that you're actually, you're almost falling for it, if we put it like that. And that's what the proverb is saying. Do not even fall for those things. Don't even answer them. Because in answering him, you're becoming exactly like he wants you to become. Now, looking at the the gospel message, remember one Corinthians one eighteen. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." Uh, one of my favorite texts, and I and I and I can think that many people would love it because. The world's foolishness is different to what, what the cross has come across and, and what Paul is saying to the people here in Corinth is that there's no one that would have ever thought of the plan of God bringing the Savior to the cross to die for the remission of sins for the whole world. No one would have thought of that idea and that's why they see the message of the cross as foolishness. But the sad thing is that they are perishing because they do not want to believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world on the cross of Calvary. And that's the same sort of thing we can see with a foolish person, and I've added here, not to get too complicated, but this is why we always apply what is known as a Christocentric hermeneutic. And hermeneutic, simply stated, is the science and art of biblical interpretation. Christo, obviously, we can see that Christ is in that word Christocentric. So all our scriptures, we ha- we should um, interpret from a Christ centered theology. And that's what makes the Bible so amazing is that when we look at the old Testament, we look at the new Testament, we can find the Lord in so many instances throughout the new and the old. So those that do not want to hear or have rejected the gospel are foolish as they are playing with life and death. And that's not a temporal thing, but it leads on to being an eternal thing. Verse five. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So now it turns it around and says, the first one says, do not answer him. And now it says, do answer him. But there's a point and a time that we have to answer someone in their foolishness. It might not be beneficial to the conversation or to to the supposed logic trying to be applied that we do not answer them. We have to, there is reproof needed. There is correction needed. And that's what. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 talks about all Scripture is God-breathed or breathed out by God, and it's profitable for correction, for reproof, for training. All those things are in the words that we can take the foolish one and correct him, and that's what Solomon is saying here. This guy is obviously wise in his own eyes. Wisdom comes from the one that is patient, one that waits on the Spirit of God to guide him in all discussions and conversations. Something to learn and to master, but extremely rewarding when accomplished sometimes when a fool speaks and no one answers, he may think that he is being clever, and that the recipient can't answer due to a lack of knowledge. but the one who answers in a timely manner brings understanding and reproach or even wisdom. We pray that obviously wisdom to the fool. The pattern with a fool is that he is always wise in his own eyes verse six. He who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. So the question I'd like to raise before we get into the proverb is, why would we want to send a message via a fool? Why would we entertain or trust anyone who is foolish in his own ways with a message that is dear to us? And then I'll add to that the the extremely important message of the gospel. An example might be that it's like sending false teachers out to accomplish the Great Commission. It just doesn't work. It doesn't fit together. That is folly. That is foolishness. So, too, in sending a message by the hand of a fool, we we harm ourselves. And the picture is that we are cutting off our own feet with this unreliable messenger. Drinking violence, which may be the result of entrusting a message. To a fool. What's interesting here, though, is that remember that the Bible does, however, say that the Lord chooses the foolish things of the world to put, the sh- to, put to shame the wise. Understood differently, that those God chooses are not wise in their own opinion and seem foolish to the so called wise of the world. And that's how that proverb comes together. We cannot send a message by the hand of a fool because obviously that message is going to become. His own message is going to become his own wisdom. And then we sort of have violence and, um, as it says, cuts off his own feet and drinks own violence in that message that he is going to be bringing across. Proverbs 26, 7 to 12. The next five Proverbs can be grouped as a section that explains what the fool is like. The fool's nature is exposed in these proverbs. So remember we started with a fool. It's been carrying on to the fool. But now we can see what his nature is like. In verse 7. Like the legs of the lame that hang limp. Is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So again continuing on the theme of fools. We can see that there is no wisdom. Nor sense in the mouth of of a fool. Especially not a proverb. The proverb in that one's mouth is just as efficient. And reliable and sensical as someone's legs that hang limp. They do not know when to apply these proverbs. The proverb is harsh to those who might have limited movement or can understand some sort of lameness in their body. But what we must understand is that the effect of proverb is the way that God sees wisdom. The one that can apply a proverb correctly is how God sees wisdom. The full Brings it in around the other way. Someone who rather leans on his own understanding instead of God's is a fool. And that's why like the legs of the lame that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of the fool. The legs that hang limp have no usage. So is exactly the same. The proverb that is in the mouth of a fool. Verse 8. Like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. So do you remember as kids in South Africa, I know a lot of us had slingshots or what we, what is known as a catty. And this was a proper wooden V-shaped sling with leather straps to house stones. From what I can see in this proverb is that one wanting to sling a stone is preparing a destructive blow. His intentions are not good. So too is that person who honors a fool. His end is destruction. Our hope is not in the things of the world as I've put it to brothers and sisters, but the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is the father of lights from whom all good and perfect gifts flow. Our honor is due to him and not in folly or man that can be swayed by every wind of doctrine. And that's what I think that proverb was saying. 26 verse nine. Like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Again, a proverb in the mouth of fools is damaging and deemed useless. Here we see a picture of one that is intoxicated, not feeling the pain or counting the cost of his folly, and attempt to be smart. What Solomon is saying over and over, is that a person cannot have wisdom if he himself cannot, cannot acknowledge the Creator and the Savior, because his folly will be his end. A thorn in the hand is painful, and so it is painful to entrust folly to a man who is wise in his own statutes. So remember as we go through these that the the fool is being explained, uh, the character of the fool is being shown in these Proverbs. Proverbs 26.10, the great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. So as, as we are born again believers, we know that everything comes from God. All, all our gifts, all, um, our talents, all our provision, everything we know comes from God. And this proverb is showing that whether believer or non-believer, their grace, grace, God's grace is, is sufficient and should be sufficient, even though the non-believer doesn't see that. And in this context, the fool, they do not see that, but God's sovereignty and God's providence are something not to be taken for granted. An amazing text, as we, we all know this text, is Philippians two ten to 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory, to the glory of God the Father. This is a proverb that can be seen as current, obviously as we have it now, but yet future. The Lord God who formed everything is gracious even to the fool and the transgressor. And this obviously leads on to eternal judgment. The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor, transgressor his wages. It's so, it shows you how amazing, how loving and how gracious God is on all, yet more obviously to those who believe. Verse 11, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. So we go to 2 Peter 2 verse 22 and Peter writes, but as, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. The context of Peter talks about false teachers and the entanglement of their sin. And here we can see that a fool who continues to repeat his folly is exactly the same as a false teacher. He's a deceiver and a continuous sinner. He's deceiving himself into thinking he is smart and can carry on in his own ways. He ends up returning to his vomit like a dog does. Why? Well, because again, he keeps on in his own ways, his own wisdom, his own folly, his own ideas. It is foolishness in the Christian context to return to sin over and over again and instead of being transformed by the spirit of god so in romans chapter 6 verse 1 i know we as a as a as the body of christ have been going through romans but romans 6 is what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound certainly not and that's the the idea trying to be brought across here is that we do we should not always continue in sin because that is what happens we will return to like a dog returning to his vomit, so we will always return to sin. And there's a solution for that. Praise the Lord Jesus, there's a solution for that. Hebrews twelve one to 2 Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What an amazing text. And that's what we should work towards, brothers and sisters, is laying aside that sin that, sin that so easily ens- ensnares us. Verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So now we can see that We've been looking at the foolish man and his wisdom and how his wisdom in his own eyes is detrimental to himself, obviously leading to foolishness. And the two depths are portrayed here, the the fool and the one who's wise in his own eyes. A fool is said to have more hope than one wise in his own eyes. I'm sure a play on words and two characters by Solomon is saying that your hope is pretty lost, yeah, if you have reached the depths of such a foolish and self-centered nature. Wisdom cannot be learnt by a prideful person. A commentator by the name of Morgan says, The greatest fool is the fool who does not know he is a fool. And I think that's very, very true. He goes on to say, The peril is a very subtle one. We are prone to be wise in our own conceits without knowing that we are so. A simple test may be employed. When we fail to seek divine guidance in any undertaking, it is because we do not feel our need of it. In other words, we are wise in our own conceit. There is no safer condition of soul than that self-distrust, that knowledge of ignorance which drives us persistently to seek for the wisdom which comes from above. So as we can see, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool. Then for him, those two depths are pretty deep. We go into Proverbs, Proverbs 26 verse 13 to 16. These are together. So we've looked at the nature of a fool and now we turn our attention to the nature of the one who is lazy. As we will see something not highly thought of in scripture. Verse 13, the lazy man says there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion in the streets. A man or woman of this nature makes any and every excuse not to work or to do anything. He will avoid work at all costs. He will go to great lengths to think of any excuse not to go to work. Here a lion is used as an example. This person will try and convince you that there is a genuine cause for his laziness it all turns out to be a lie you can picture that you'll see later as the as the lazy person is lying on the bed so a lazy man always makes an excuse to not do anything constructive and as we know um i'm not sure where the proverb is but uh idle hands is a devil's work that's the idea brought here by solomon verse 14 as a door turns on its hinges so does the lazy man on his bed. So the next image is the lazy man on his bed doing nothing. As the speed of the door that opens, so is the speed of the one that is lazy on his bed doing nothing. So you can just picture a door opening. Obviously, if you slam the door, it closes a bit quicker. But if you open the door, it just goes in its own time and it opens. And that's how lazy this man is on his bed. He turns at that speed. It might even be said that a hinge has more use than this lazy person. And I would tend to agree with that. A door moves but goes nowhere. So too a man who rolls on his bed moves but goes nowhere. He's still stagnant on his bed. Verse 15. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. I mean now we're really getting to the depths of laziness here. This man is so lazy. And I actually actually have to put a disclaimer because I always uh, put he or man, but it's not only for the men, because I know the ladies are thinking, yeah, you see, it's only for the men, but it's not really it's for it's for man and woman alike. We we should never be this lazy that we reach for something yet leave that hand in that position. Because we're so lazy that we too to be too too lazy to bring it back. This might look at a situation where A man is even too lazy to groom himself or is too lazy that he cannot even bear the thought of exerting himself beyond that measure. That's exactly what Solomon is trying to say here. Verse 16, The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So the lazy man is so lazy, lacking much energy and initiative. Yet his opinion of himself lacks nothing again his own wisdom deceives him he seems to have what is what is common nowadays and that is the woe is me attitude i think not everyone but a, a, a vast majority of the millennial generation is a is a um receiving generation It's it's due to me i must have it we can see with what's going on in America with the riots and and sort of things like that. It's all what is due to me. And this is exactly what is coming across. They're happy to go riot. They're happy to go and exert that energy. But when it comes to sitting in an office or actually applying your trade properly, these people do not want to do these things. And that is exactly what is being said here. I'm so hard done by attitude. Seven men could answer him with much wisdom, but he refuses that. And seeks after his own wisdom. He's so wise in his own eyes. That, he, that seven men with powerful wisdom won't even convince him otherwise. Verse 17. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel. Not his own. Is like one who takes a dog by the ears. There is always someone that we may know. Who is eager to involve himself in other people's quarrels. Matters and problems. He finds such quarrels irresistible and gets excited over such things. We will mostly find that such a person never has his own life sorted out, yet he thinks he has all the solutions to everyone else's problems. In getting involved with others' quarrels is the same as taking a dog by the ears. That saying all we all know, once bitten, twice shy, comes to mind. Solomon is saying that you may as well grab a dog by the ears And the result is inevitable. You will get bitten by meddling in and getting excited over other people's quarrels. Verses 18 and 19. We'll read those together like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Another one that kept me busy for a while, I must be honest, it was quite tricky, but. The Hebrew word for madman um, looks at the idea of one who startles or amazes. So the picture being painted might be that the one who is a warrior who amazes with his destruction, so is the man who intentionally goes as the warrior does to deceive his neighbor. After being caught out or confronted, the deceptive man then says, I was only joking. Without wisdom, a man will come up with all sorts of excuses when he is caught out in a lie. Or embarrassing situation. And I think we've all to an extent been caught in that where we've, we've sort of got to uh, the lengths where we've done something extremely wrong or hurt someone's feelings. And then we say, I was only joking. And that is the idea here. You know, we, we might not intend destruction, but destruction will come from not having wisdom. And then falling back on our actions saying no, but I was only joking. So we've looked at the lazy, we've looked at the fool, and the next few proverbs we'll look at the tail bearer. And the tail bearer is one who's a whisperer or a murmurer or a backbiter. I'll read verses 20, 21 and 22 together, but we'll look at them separately. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. So verse 20, where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. Simply stated, no wood, no flame, and the fire goes out. No whisperer, no murmurer, and strife ceases. As wood fuels fire, so the whisperer fuels gossip. James 3 verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. That's why our tongues are behind cages, brothers and sisters. I've always thought of it, and we heard, uh, Kelly and myself heard a sermon the other day where someone was talking about, the reason why we have teeth other than to eat is to keep our tongue behind a cage so that we can actually think of things before we say them, before we say things that are not wise, and before we might murmur, before we might whisper, before we might backbite, always think of the reason why our tongues are theirs they they are it can be very poisonous, and as James also says, the tongue is like a rudder and it can steer it can steer the 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 ship any way that it wants to go. So be careful of the tongue murmuring and backbiting. Verse 21, as charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Again, the fueling of charcoal and wood is the same picture as what a contentious man loves, as as when a, contention man, a contentious man loves to cause strife. Strife has a maker, and that is the contentious man. A theologian by the name of Garrett says, in the absence of such a person, old hurts can be set aside and discord can die a natural death. Even so, we often find a juicy tidbit of defamation irresistible. Again, the caution here is that just as what charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Verse twenty-two: The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down to the inmost body. So repeated here, as in Proverbs eighteen verse eight, one who carries gossip and loves to gossip has this art of gossip waxed. He makes it sound so sweet that the words don't even cause bitterness, but rather they cause a sweet taste like trifles, and are gulped up without second guesses. Once gossip reaches the inmost being. It is difficult to, to to reject such gossip. Be careful, folks. This is absolutely dangerous. The encouragement rather here is to not gulp at or to be excited as to take in this gossip, but to rather discern the situation and to stop this whisperer in his tracks. Two or three witnesses are very fondly spoken of in scripture, and are to remember that rather than listening to a talebearer, we are to rather take the story. From two or three witnesses to see if that story may be accurate. The same principle in Matthew 18, as I spoke of earlier, when a brother is in sin and he's if he is backbiting or murmuring against a fellow brother or sister, confront him. But if he does carry on, we take it to two or three or more people. Otherwise, you put him in front of the congregation and set him outside to learn his lesson so that he can come and be back, welcome back into the fellowship. Verse 23, fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. So this is what is also known as someone that is a smooth talker, fervent lips with a wicked heart. He has persuasive lips and speech, so to speak, yet his intentions and heart is wicked. He opens his mouth with the intention to harm others. He has an exterior that is attractive Maybe like one of these modern day prosperity preachers. We all have nice clothing, nice suits, are groomed to the nines, yet their hearts are wicked and they are deceiving others. That is the picture of the earthenware, or of rather, of the earthenware that is covered with silver dross. I wonder if this came to mind for anyone. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. We of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. That's exactly what came to mind when I was reading this proverb. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. Proverbs 26, or sorry, rather 24 to 26. Should have actually uh, put these together. Um, This goes around the one who hates, the one who disguises, and the one who deceives. Verse 24, 25, 26. He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. So verse 24. He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. This person still hates deep down, but he covers it with a facade. And in doing so, he is not fooling anyone else, but he's actually fooling himself. The more he hates, the more he deceives himself. This too is detrimental. So he'll disguise it with his lips, but what he's actually doing is laying up hate within himself. Verse 25, when he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. This person can be known by his feeble talk and fleeting actions. When he comes to you with persuasive disguise, be sure not to believe him. He has more than one wicked idea and he has abominations in his heart. The secret hater has many things that make him hate, many things that make him lie, and many things that make him deceive. So he's got these seven abominations. This is just a figure of speech. But his heart is so kindled with uh, deception that we should be able to discern, hopefully by the wisdom that we have in going through scriptures, that we should not believe this person. Verse 26, though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. So simply stated, all these abominations, wicked ideas, thoughts, and intents can only last so long. They will be exposed whether now or whether in the time to come. And I think we can look back at the one that is whispering and that is murmuring and that is backbiting is that sooner rather than later, this person will be exposed. And as the text says, yeah, he might even be revealed before the assembly. As we go into our last two verses for today. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. So we look at one that is paid back for how he has treated others. That is exactly what Solomon is saying here. This does not happen to everyone. But we must be careful not to dig our own pits. And to fall into them. An example would be Haman. Who wanted to hang Mordecai. And by his very craftiness found himself hanging on those very gallows that he built for Mordecai. Digging in the pit may result in your own downfall, the same as rolling the stone away, only to find it coming back at a speed unbearable and crushing you. So much wisdom in these Proverbs and what what Solomon is saying. It's, It's actually amazing. Verse 28. Lastly, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it and a flattering mouth works ruin. Remember the the story that I spoke of of the tongue and the cage and the teeth? This tongue has no cage that it is kept by. Its intentions are rotten and has no malice or remorse for those whom it will crush. The hatred in this tongue goes so deep that the emotional aspects and ties are lost. A mouth that flatters also works ruin too. It builds up in false hope and breaks down with much ruin. As we close, may the Lord grant us wisdom. May He grant us understanding. May He grant us knowledge and discernment in our daily lives. As we seek to please Him and edify the body in glorifying the One who gave His life as remissions for sin, the One who bled and died for us on the cross of Calvary. Father, we just thank you so much for your word, O oh Lord. We thank you that there's too much and much to learn in these proverbs. I pray that you please imprint on our hearts, each and every one of us, which what we have to learn, Lord, as we all have to learn something all the time. And it is a blessing to be able to be reproved, to be corrected, and to stand firm in, in the gospel message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as, as we come before the table, as Dave has prepared for us, please, please be with us, Lord. May we examine ourselves. May we truly be found in the faith when you come back to fetch your bride. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.